0: I want to welcome you again to, um, to Castle Rock Adventist Church. One of the things that we love to do here is uh, be family. And this is more than just a program to come to and to fill up your calendar. It's, it's a people to be a part of. And so uh, we, we are so glad that you're here with us as we seek God, share life, and serve the world. Today actually marks a very f- a first for this church. It's called Say So Sabbath. Can you say that with me? Say so, Sabbath. And then apologize to your neighbor for spitting in their eyes No, um, Say so, Sabbath. And it comes from Psalm 107, verse 2. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In the NIV, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. If you've experienced God's grace, it's something to share about. It's something to tell about. Uh, there's a really interesting experience that happens also in the in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 5. Um, Jesus crosses a lake, and they hear uh, this screaming man just running straight to them, Jesus and his disciples. It's a demoniac, someone who is demon-possessed. And as Jesus engages this person in conversation, um, apparently the demon-possessed person wants to be delivered, but he just can't even get it out of his mouth to say it. Jesus actually engages in conversation and says, what is your name? The man says, legion, for we are many. In other words, there's not just one demon that is possessing him, but literally thousands. And so Jesus casts these demons out. The demons actually plead with Jesus to be cast out into a herd of pigs just on a cliffside or a hillside over there. Um, these 2,000 pigs, are they become demon-possessed, and they run off the cliff into the sea. It's, it's a pretty in- interesting story, to say the least. But the part that I want to get to is that Right after that, the the story kind of pans back to the man who was formerly demon-possessed. And it says that this man was sitting in his right mind. He was clothed and sitting in his right mind. I don't know where he got the clothes, because earlier it says that he was tearing his clothes and ripping his chains. He had been chained in this cemetery, cutting himself even. But apparently the disciples gave of their own and clothed him too. And um, as Jesus is engaging this person in conversation now in his right mind. The townspeople who know that their thousands of pigs have fallen off of the cliff, that their livelihood, uh, you know, their city's agricultural livelihood has now been taken from them, they ask Jesus to leave. They don't know what to do with this kind of power. So they ask Jesus to leave. And Jesus is about to get into the boat. The man who was demon-possessed clings to him and wants to go with him obviously, right? I don't want to go back to my old lifestyle. I don't want to slip. I don't want to, uh, you know, experience what I've just been delivered from. And what Jesus says to him is, is, no, you need to go home and tell your family what the Lord has done for you. Go home and tell your friends what God has done for you. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Tell their story. And there's something about telling our story that is not only an inspiration to people around us, But it's something that reinforces our own faith journey. It's something that actually reinforces our own experience in the Lord. And so today, we're going to feature three individuals. Uh, Earlier, you heard Benji share his story, uh, stories, I should say, of how God was working in his life to deepen his own personal relationship with God through the Air Force um, training camp and continues to use him. Um, And so now we're going to invite Taylor andy and also kevin to take the rest of our time and say so to tell their story so um, i'm gonna pray and i hope you would pray for them with me let's pray together gracious father in heaven we thank you once again for opportunities to give you praise lord if there's anything in this world that needs to be highlighted emphasized glorified and magnified it is you and your character and there's something special about being able to share it from our own experience. God, we're asking today that you would bless Taylor, Andy, and Kevin, and that you would bless us through their stories, things from recent past, things from more, um, more of a past. And Lord, we pray that whatever is said in this place would lift up Jesus. And like John 12:32 says, when I am lifted up from the earth... I will draw all men unto me. God, as we lift up Jesus through our experiences, may our hearts be drawn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Taylor, come on up.
1: Happy Sabbath. <laughs> my name is Taylor, and today I'm going to be talking about my experience last year and part of, my, of the 2016 year. When I went to Honduras, I was there for ten and a half months and I went to an orphanage and lived there so I'll show first I'll show you that's where Honduras is there's the world and that icon is where I was for ten and a half months and the the arrow I lived in Santa Barbara right there so this is this is hard this is hard to talk about because it was a whole year and a lot happened and it's kinda of, it's really hard to remember what happened because it, my experience broke me a little, so um yeah, but you know what it's a blessing to be here and to talk about it because God was there a hundred percent of the way, and so these two were my job so Gosh, I'm sorry. Maybe I shouldn't look at the pictures. Cause <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got there, and I didn't know what I was going to be doing exactly. And um, the director said, we have two little ones, and we don't really have anybody to take care of them. They've, they've just been kind of been passed around to some of the older girls in the orphanage. So, um, I've been praying about it because there were, there were um, four of us who went from my school. I, I'm, I went to school in, at Union and decided to take a year off and, and do this. So, four of us went and she said, I, I've been the director, she said, I've been praying about this a lot and Without even meeting you guys, uh, I didn't know who was going to take it the, care of the babies. But God just kept on saying, Taylor was going to take care of them. So that's what I did. Um, Mariose is the one on the left. And she is, when I got there, she was one. She was one. And, um, <laughs> she... Was she got, She arrived at the orphanage I think when she was about like five or six months old her dad, well her, her mom abandoned her and her dad was taking care of her but he couldn't um, work and take care of her so he brought her to the orphanage and that's why she was there and then Carlita on the right she is two in that picture and um, she was found... She was brought to the orphanage by her her grandma who found her wandering the streets with her older sister who was four at the time. So they were just kind of... Nobody was taking care of them. So their grandma saw that and brought them in. And she was actually really sick. She, she suffers with asthma and allergies, environmental allergies. And so... She, she was there about five months before I got there, and um, she she would she spent most of that time in the hospital and out of the hospital because she just stuff would bring like environmental stuff would happen or she would be exposed to something, and she would just have asthma attacks all the time um, so yeah uh, so. I'll talk about, I guess I'll talk, <laughs> there's so many things I could say. We could be here for hours. <laughs> so, I'll, I just want to focus on what God did and what I learned through this experience. So, I knew how to take care of babies, kind of, because my I have two little sisters. And I watched my mom take care of them, and I saw how hard it was and how much... How needy they are and how much they need and um, I saw uh, how much sacrifice you have to that it takes to to take care of them so I knew that it was going to be a really big responsibility and I I knew things to do like I knew how to change a diaper and I knew how to um, they weren't they weren't they were eating whole food so it wasn't like they were bottle fed or anything but um but i didn't know how to do that because without i i didn't love them you know they were, i didn't give birth to them i didn't innately love them so it was really hard for me to to shift my focus and do for them when i didn't feel like it they were sick all the time they always had diarrhea they had we had um they were in cloth diapers so and we had it was called the pila and, and i was just there like scrubbing diapers all day long um and they were very spoiled by the, cuz they were they had teenage girls taking care of them before i got there and um, so they needed a lot of attention. Uh, and I, I didn't know, I didn't know who, what they, who they were. I didn't really know how to communicate with them because they only knew Spanish, kind of. And I didn't know Spanish. So um, it took a lot. It took a lot of time to form that relationship and trust with them. So... Um, but so being a mom is really hard. <laughs> but when you have like you're in a different culture and you know the cuz I was sick too like I got parasites and ringworm and all the fun stuff. Um and when you're when I you know was fatigued and I didn't have the energy to take care of them like that That made it even harder. And, um, yeah. (laughs) So what I learned while I was there was that if I was going to do this, if I was going to take care of them, if I was going to do anything good, then I had to surrender every day, and I had to trust and God to sustain me and to give me the energy I needed to do this. And, um, so he, God became my person when, when I was there, like he, I, if I didn't spend the time I needed every day to surrender and get my mind in a set of like sacrifice and like, God's going to help me do this. Then I couldn't. I couldn't have done any of it. And even if the things sound kind of simple, like just giving kids their food or you know making sure that they're getting enough water, or giving them their medicine. Like even those simple tasks were so difficult to do. Um, so I really had to trust that God was going to do that, and trust that He knew what He was doing, even though I didn't understand. What was happening. Um, the orphanage, it wasn't a perfect place. Um, the people, even the people who were running it made mistakes like you would assume. But the the in Honduras, the sexual abuse rates are pretty high. I don't know the statistics, but I do know that we had about 60 kids and most of them had a past of being sexual abuse, and it was just in their culture, like, they didn't really know the lines of what was appropriate and not appropriate, so the lines were just blurred, and it was just very, I th- it was confusing for them, and they didn't really have anyone there that would teach them, like, this is okay to do, and this isn't okay to do, so that was really hard, and Um, People who were in charge, their minds were just not focused on what was right on how to teach them. So that was really hard to see and to address and to, you know, talk and communicate with people there about, like, this isn't okay. (laughs) So that was another struggle. And... um, it just reminded me of of how evil the world is and how i don't want to live here like this is it's evil it's it's disgusting it's it's not okay and i'm glad that my home is not here forever so um yeah but i really wore myself out when i got there because i wanted to change everything and i wanted to Make people like me, and I wanted um, people to know that I cared. But it was really difficult, and I wore myself out because I was trying to be perfect, and I was failing every single day, <laughs> and messing up, and making mistakes. So a verse that really impacted me was found in Second Corinthians twelve nine. And it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So that was a big lesson I learned while I was there, that even though, you know, I was a mess and I didn't know how to do things, God's God's power was made perfect through my weaknesses, and that was okay. And that's how he used me. So another thing I learned while I was there was that love is not a feeling, and it's an action. And um, so doing for the babies, I didn't feel like doing anything for them because it was hard work. But through time, God's timing, and through a lot of prayer— God helped me to love them and helped me to do for them and to provide their needs and what they needed, like giving them food and bathing them and putting them to bed at night and stuff. So, and um, we became a little family. It's 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 very like it's very simple, but it's it's powerful in with what happened with my experience is that, like, you, people think, you know, being a mom is very simple because, you know, everybody, most everybody's a mom, and it's simple, but it's, it's, there's so much beneath it and so much love and sacrifice that goes into it, so, and I couldn't have done any of that without God, so. Um, I'll show you some more pictures I couldn't decide, <laughs> so I have a bunch of them. There's Muriel Say and me, and uh, at the beginning, she was just like very, she had a somber face all the time, and so I was really hard getting her to smile for pictures, so you'll see in the pictures where she's a little older, where she's smiling. There's Carlita playing in the mud. I think I probably was telling her, like, Carlita, stop playing in the mud, and she's like giving me this look, those are the, my friends that we went together. Um, that's them sleeping in their beds. They would, instead of, so I put them down for a nap, and then instead of them, like, waking up and crying or letting me know that they are awake, I I would go back and check on them after a while. And a lot of the times, I'd walk into, and there would just be, like, this waff of poop. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, what happened? And then... You're there awake, and they would take off their di- their diapers, which what their cloth diapers. And they would throw it and smear it all over the place, and then they would grab the their bedding and they would like the inside of the bedding and they would rip it and throw it everywhere. And that would, that happened all the time, so that was a process teaching them that that wasn't okay to do. There's Carlita with her nebulizer machine, and that's that's a good that's a good day. Like she would cry, and it was really hard to get her to take her medicine when she needed it. There's Muriel say she fell asleep on the floor. Um, there's them with their face painted. That's when the Americanos came. <laughs> that's them in a little wagon that we I pulled them around in everywhere. That's them eating their breakfast. They would take their, um, their bread, and they would rip it up, and they liked to put it in their milk. <laughs> that's them during Christmas. Uh, I was doing laundry one day, and I came back, and Carly was on my bed, folding. she was helping me fold clothes. <laughs> um, that's them in the wagon again. There's Mariose, and that's a, one of the older girls. Her name is Angela, and uh, they were they switched shoes. They would always do that, and then they'd come up and say, "Take a picture." <laughs> um, the little boy on the left is when okay. So his his older brother he um, he had an accident where he got his foot cut open, and his mom didn't take him to the hospital right away and so when some people finally found out that you know, this is really infected they finally took him to the hospital and he had a little brother so his mom would stay with him and then they asked me to, to take care of this little guy and um, that was about three weeks and that was really really hard because he, he was still nursing and um, he was just a little stinker <laughs> So it was really rough <laughs> for those three weeks, but God helped me do the work. Um, there's Carlita Mediose. <laughs> yeah, that, that, she's finally smiling in the picture. There's Carlita with my glasses. She put them on upside down. Um, that's them in their little towels before bed, and then that's them eating breakfast. Um, that's them with some of the older girls. They were about eight girls that were kind of in the same age and they were they would all live together and do everything together. That's... <laughs> this is what happens when you're potty training and they both have to go at the same time and there's only one toilet. So... <laughs> um, there they are. Carlita loved those boots. The Amer- groups, American groups would come and they'd bring like, a bunch of stuff and they had these boots in there and she... Love them. They were really big for her, but she really loved wearing them. And that's them when, this is, I think, like two weeks before I left. That's them. They finally got a new bed. And um, yeah. So I'll leave you guys with another verse that really helped me also while I went through this journey. It's found in Hebrews 13. It's verse 22 to 21. And it says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom the glory forever and ever. Amen. So if you're feeling like you just can't do it this year, remember this verse, because it gives me a lot of confidence.
2: I had to create notes, because before the notes, it was like 30 minutes, so it's like, I know I need to cut this down. So hopefully I can, I can stay on track. I wish my story was about a grand act of faith or bringing someone to Christ. Unfortunately, it's not. It's about me snubbing what is important to go after my passions of the world. Um, I was known as a mischievous kid growing up. And I'm going to tell some of these stories. I'm sure your viewpoint of me is going to change a little bit. (laughs) But that's okay, because these actually happened, and I'm leaving out a few. But my parents, teachers, aunts, and uncles would always laugh at the silly things that I did. For example, I broke into my childhood pastor's home to steal candy. That was not a smart thing because that was brought up many times during the sermon. And sooner or later, the whole church family knew that break, I, I would steal candy and, and break into your house to do it. that also, whoopsie, I also, uh, that also came up during my wedding because he officiated our, our wedding. So that is a, a never ending story that will always come up. I was missing part of the brain that would tell you the consequence of your action. And I don't think I actually developed that until recently. I'm ashamed to, to, to say that. But I grew up in a, in a small town, and I went to a small school. And so for most of my life, I only knew a class of about 10 people. And I knew those people all the way up to high school. And so when it was time to go to high school, I went to Campion Academy. And now my class size was 70. And for those that went to public school, I know that sounds small, but for me, that blew my mind. 70 people, and I only know five of them. And I was struggling to find my identity. I was struggling to find where I fit in. And I quickly learned I was terrified of girls. I could not speak in front of them. And if one came up to me in the hallway, if she wanted to talk to me or not, I would run away. Even if that meant going into a class I had no business belonging to. I would rather embarrass myself that way than having to try and talk to her. So I had this dilemma. How do I meet girls if I can't talk to them? And so there was a popular TV show on MTV, and it had a crude name. But the basis was guys running around and fil- filming themselves doing dumb things. And for my friends, this was amazing for us. And we thought, wow, we have a group of guys that don't think of consequences, and we have a camera, we can do the same thing, and this will get us our popularity and our notoriety. Nor- notoriety. And we started out innocent enough, we would go to a... a A local Starbucks at at its busiest time and we would go in there with a borrowed tuba. We didn't know how to play a tuba. But we'd sit at a stranger's uh, table and just do an impromptu tuba practice while one of our friends was videotaping it. We thought this was hilarious and it slowly progressed into more and more destruction. There was one day where we were in the dorm and we had a vendetta against somebody and we... We took our anger out on him, and we were suspended from school. The person who planned it didn't join us, but he told on us, and it was his plan that we got in trouble for. When we came back to school, we were angry at him. And we didn't have a way to focus our anger, and I'm embarrassed to say we took it out on his car. We vandalized his car. We caused several thousand dollars worth of destruction to his car. Well, it didn't take long for them to figure out we did it. The police were called, and our parents were called. My parents came up, and I'm never going to forget that day. They were angry. They were so angry, we didn't even talk on the way home. And I was wanting them to talk. I wanted them to yell at me because I knew it was coming, and I hated waiting for it. Because the police were called, we had a date in court. And I remember that day vividly. I didn't know to call the judge your honor, and I kept calling him sir. And finally he looked at me, he said, Andy, if you call me sir again, I'm gonna add to your sentence. He's like, you don't belong here, you're wasting our time. You have it better than anyone else I'll see that day. And he said, Andy, I want you to look at my face. I want you to remember my face, because if I ever see you again in my courtroom, it's gonna be the worst day of your life. And I left that courtroom assigned with a felony, community service i was put into a scared straight program and i had to pay back the damages that i did my worst mistake well not my worst mistake but a mistake is i wore a collared shirt the first day of the scared program scared straight program everyone then assigned me the name polo they didn't know who andy was they knew who polo was it hit home with the judge meant by saying i didn't belong there Not because I was better than anyone else, but I had better opportunities that I didn't take advantage of, that I ignored. As we went around the table, the probation officer made us say, what what put us in this program? So I remember the guy to my left. It involved a baseball bat and a head and repeated blows. There was armed robbery, there was drugs, there was violence, and it came to me. And I was like, oh, I, I vandalized a car. That gets you zero street cred. And I probably went in the negative with the nickname of Polo. That probation officer and my parents made sure that summer I had no freedom. They were watching everything I was doing. I should mention this happened almost near the end of my junior year. So I was expelled from school. They allowed me to take my classes from home. When everyone left school, I was able to go back on site and take my final exams. So during that summer, I was working for my dad to repay him for, for ruining my, my time at school, for misbehaving. I had to repay what, the damages I did. I had to do community service, and I had to save up for school. It took me a long time to build up my parents' trust, but finally they gave me the keys, and they're like, okay, you earned a night out. you think I would be walking on eggshells, because this was literally a tipping point in my life. I had a probation officer watching me what I was doing. I met up with a friend and we got in his car and we started to drive around. We went to an Albertsons parking lot. And I remember rolling down the the window, hanging onto a shopping cart as we were driving. And we just started slowly and it was funny and we finally hit the the back of the parking lot. We had a straightaway. So at one point we were going about 40 miles an hour and I'm just barely hanging onto the shopping cart. It's rocking, it's rolling, it's going every which place. He's telling me we have to slow down and make the turn, so there's nothing I can do but let go of the shopping cart. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll hit the curb, the curb will stop it, we're all good. But unfortunately, our straightaway was going right toward the front entrance of Albertsons. And I remember looking at the shopping cart and looking up at the path. There was an elderly lady with grocery bags. And she was waiting for the door to open. And the shopping cart unfortunately didn't hit a curb because it was a front entrance, there was a ramp. And so it flew up that ramp and it was a missile. Think about how heavy a shopping cart is. Think about when somebody bumps into you with a shopping cart and how much that hurts. That's walking speed. Now picture the shopping cart going 30 miles an hour plus. I don't know why, but from my vantage point, the elderly lady was looking up at the sensor and trying to figure out why is this door not opening? Why is the door not opening? And this shopping cart's barreling down right into her path. I don't know why those doors did not open that day, but it slammed into the metal bars on the sliding glass door and it never hit the elderly lady. Let's just play this through. If it hit her, she would be gravely injured. Now it would be back in court with the same judge. I'd have to try to explain, why did I create a weapon out of a shopping cart? I don't think the judge would be like, oh, I'm missing that part of my brain that doesn't know consequences. I definitely would have had a prison sentence. I would have had a criminal record. I wouldn't have gone to Union College. I definitely probably wouldn't have gone to college, which means I wouldn't have met Hannah. There would be no Elena, no no, uh, Emma, and I wouldn't be here in front of you today. I like to think that it was my guardian angel who was holding those doors closed, saying, Let's give Andy just a little bit more grace. Because if we give him a little bit more grace, maybe one day in the future he'll appreciate that grace. You think I would have changed my ways. Unfortunately, I didn't. I went through the rest of the senior year doing stupid stuff like that. I hit college. And I thought, Man, what I've learned from TV is college is all about partying. I was underage and I started to drink heavily. And for you to understand the enormity of this, the Whitlock heritage is known for two things. Being in the military and becoming alcoholics. So my father never really had parents. He physically had parents, but his parents were never there. He would purposely not come home until the very latest point in time because he knew when he got home his parents would be passed out drunk. He had to make the decision, do I put a blanket over them or do I carry them to their bed? His high school graduation, he had no one in the, no one in the audience Because his parents were drunk He actively fought to change the Whitlock heritage To change what Whitlocks would be known for And it was an active battle for him He was involved with alcohol And he fought out of that And he got away from what his father did And what my grandfather did He changed the Whitlock heritage So how much was it a slap in the face That's what I reverted back to and I'm not talking about, oh, haha, ha, let me have a few beers. I'm talking about, let me have as much as I possibly can. And I was trying to go after popularity. I was trying to be uh, funny and, and have friends. And people were laughing at me, but they were more laughing at me, like, haha, did you hear what Andy did? He's an idiot. He's stupid. I was going after the wrong fame. I was going after the wrong thing. My goal was not to know God's love, my goal wasn't to know God. When people talked about the do's and don'ts of Sabbath, I, I would turn off. I would get upset and frustrated. I had a hard feelings against Ellen White. I thought, oh, Ellen White only means don't go to the movie theaters, don't buy a bicycle, wear long dresses, don't have fun on Sabbath, and kind of be strange where nobody will really like you. And finally, I thought, several times throughout my life, Jesus was there with his arms open. Andy, are you ready for me? That's snub him. Nope, not, I'm not ready. Go away. Again, Andy, are you ready for me? Nope, go away. Finally, I changed. Finally, I was able to accept God and, and grow up and figure out what that consequence was. And I tried to figure out what caused that. And I know a few things. The prayers of my parents and my grandma. I had a professor at school that would say, Andy, why, are, why do you call yourself a Seventh-day Adventist? Why do you have all these hard feelings against Ellen White? Have you ever read her? And the answer was no. Meeting Hannah. Hannah's the hero of my life that changed my life. She taught me what it was like to be a man. And that hit home even more once we had kids. Because if I wanted a house filled with God's love, I had to start with a heart filled with God's love. Most importantly, God never gave up on me. He gave me more grace than I ever deserved. I was lucky that I was able to adjudicate the felony off my record. So when I applied for jobs, or when I applied for college back then, or whatever I did, when it said, were you ever convicted of a felony, I could put no. But the true answer was yes, I was convicted, but I was just pure lucky that that I could have it adjudicated. I read an analogy, when a seedling oak is under a year old. A child could rip it out by the roots. But after you give it enough time for the roots to develop, that oak tree wouldn't, cannot be knocked down by a hurricane. I think that's great for my faith. Until I develop the roots within Christ, my worldly passions can rip me out, and I can chase those. And so I feel like my journey has been, how do I establish those roots, and how do I go back to what I know is right? And that's what 2017 has been for me. And I think the church has had a large part of that for me because, to be honest, the past 10 years, I always knew I needed to find a church, but I didn't want to find a church. I'd find any excuse not to find a church. And then finally, this church just felt like home. I've read something, all significant battles are waged within self. And I think that's true. I feel really silly when I look back and I realize everything that Christ has done for me. He saved me from my own bad decisions over and over and over again. I don't deserve to be standing up here in front of you. I don't deserve the life that God has given me. I am a sinner, I'm incapable, and I'm insufficient. I'm lucky to have a God with boundless love. You know, I made this goal a while ago, but I don't think I imprinted it on my heart to actually follow through with this until recently. My goal is the next judge that I'll see will be my Lord. I want to look him in the face and say, Lord, I am unworthy and I'm incapable. However, you never gave up on me. Through you alone, you adjudicated my sins and cleared them off my record. I will be able to look Jesus in the face and claim that I am worthy through his grace, through his love, and through his forgiveness. Thank you.
3: Good morning, Church family. Good morning. Well, I'm Kevin. I'm the last of the, on the list. Um, my story starts back in June. Um, I uh, have been going with a friend of mine for many year, or for a couple of years on a motorcycle ride, and this year was no different. We decided it was that we were going to go and we we're going to cruise the Ozark Mountains on our motorcycles. Um, I've been a lifelong Adventist and believed that the Lord was watching over me and has always watched over me. And um, this year was no different. Um, we were having a great time. Um, we were in the Ozark Mountains, and we were doing about 45 miles an hour. We'd been talking on our helmet microphones when um, all of a sudden things just seemed to go into slow motion. I had no idea what was going on. Um, and the next thing I knew, I was laying, looking upwards towards the sky and in my buddy's face, um, not knowing that what had really occurred, but kind of figured it out r- very quickly that I was, had been in a motorcycle accident. Never hit anything other than a ditch. Um, subsequently, I was taken care of by EMS and then flown into St. Louis. Um, and um, the report was that I had a C56 spinal cord injury. Um, which um, I've never. I've taken care of many people. My career spans an EMS career of 32 years and a nursing career of the last six years. Um, so, my ironically, you know, um, my wife shows up, and um, my thoughts just kept going. First of all, was why? Why me? You know, that's always the first question. But then the second thought was. Was there was a purpose for this? I've never thought that way um, on a regular basis, you know. But I was like, the Lord let this occur because of, for some reason there's something in my life that He wants me to do. So um, I kept thinking about that. It's like the Lord didn't injure me. The Lord allowed the devil to injure me. So then, the next question was, "What is it that you want me to do i 've never spoken in front of large crowds i 've been always afraid of speaking in front of large crowds um, and uh, so things kind of traveled on. We went through a struggle of getting me home um, took a took a week to do that while I was in the in the trauma center and then finally got back to denver and there was the struggle of insurance and what not. We knew where we needed to go. We needed to go to Craig Hospital because it's the premier neuro center for spinal cord and hand injuries. And so my wife navigated that while I was laying in the hospital bed. Um, and all this time I kept thinking, um, What is it? what is it that I need to do? What is it that I have? There's got to be a reason why This was allowed to happen to me And it was like I kept saying Show me what you want me to do And I never really Could say that I saw what the Lord wanted me to do But in retrospect I've seen things that he's Seen things that we have done together Um, One of the first things that I was telling pastor about was The church decided they wanted to come and have Worship with me on one Sabbath, so they came down um, and we spent some nice about an hour and a half together, and it was it was wonderful. And they brought cards and whatnot. One of our former um, churchgoers, she brought me this pill bottle. It was a Monday through Friday pill bottle, and um, in each one of the little slots, she put in a memory verse or a thought of to in, of encouragement. And so I took it back. I hadn't opened it yet because it was it started on Sunday. So I was waiting until Sunday to open it up. Um, but that night my um, aide came in to help me do my stuff to get ready for bed and it was sitting out there and she goes, Well what is what is this all about? And I said So I explained to her. I said, Well my church family came down and one of them brought me this pill bottle and it has some thoughts in it and she goes well can we open one up i said absolutely and so she pulled it out and to be honest with you to this day i don't remember exactly what it said on there but she read it out loud and my mind went to wow maybe that's what the lord need, why i'm in this situation the the lord needed for beth to bring me this this pill bottle to have this this verse in it to touch this person's heart. I don't know. I I was there through August 22nd. She took care of me. We didn't have much of a conversation about it after that. But I don't know what that might lead for her down the road. It could have been it could have done nothing or maybe it it opened up an opportunity for her. Well, I I may never know. It's it was I left it in the Lord's hand. This is what you needed need to do, um, and then you know, my And I keep thinking, well, what is it that you need me to do? What is what? Why did this happen to me, or why did why was I allowed to get injured, and um, and you know, going down this path? But the one thing that I have not done was my my prayers are not always about me; they're about. You know, what can what is it that you need me to do? Um, during this last seven months, though, um, the Lord has been leading and healing more than you'd ever know. Normally, a, a spinal cord injury of that height doesn't leave you much with hand movement or anything like that. Um, over this last week, um, the staff at Craig has actually been getting me up, and I've been walking. Now, I've been suspended from a ceiling in a harness, but my legs are moving. And we know this is not, we know that this is not totally from the Craig staff, that the Lord is the one that is healing me. It's nothing I'm doing that's, that's getting me better, it's the Lord. And the Lord had a reason to allow me to get injured. And it's, it, it's strengthened my faith. And maybe that's all it was about. Maybe it was that maybe I was heading in the wrong path and I didn't even recognize it. And he had to allow this experience to occur so that it could steer me back towards the direction that I really needed to be going down. So um, you never know where life is going to take you. The Lord has been watching over us and, and keeping us. And one of the other things is, is that these trials and tribulations that I've been going on, it's kind of like, what's next for me? And um, so we're not sure. Um, the We've seen a lot of different things that have occurred throughout the last six months and seven months where the people that, lives that I've touched over the last 30 years are coming back and... Full circle, and uh, I've talked to people I haven't talked to in years, and um, I've been blessed. I can't deny that. And so we were talking about, you know, words from the Scripture that give you hope, and I found Psalms ninety-one, one and two. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of Jehovah, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I, whom I trust. And today, it's like I wanted to let you know that, as a church family, that I trust in God. I've put my faith in Him, and He has shown me, the, you know, the direction that I need to go. Um, and And He's been my healer. I mean... Um, today, uh, well, if you'd seen me on June 7th and 8th When I was laying in the trauma center I couldn't move much but my shoulders But today, I can raise my legs In praise of the Lord And my my continued um, prayer is that He'll continue to heal me And that maybe next year at this time I'll be standing up in front of you Instead of sitting in a wheelchair So, don't ever let Little things get in your way. The, the stumbling blocks of the, of the world are everywhere. And uh, I just wanted to praise the Lord for giving me strength and uh, healing my body. You know, I, I look at it this way and say, if the Lord lets, makes, has me sitting in a chair for the rest of my life, I'll get my legs back when he returns. So, thank you very much.
0: Praise the Lord. Amen. And there's a, whew, a lot there, you know, just to realize that God can carry us through difficult experiences and teach us along the way, that he can extend grace over and over, that he can even use tragedies, difficulties, trials to, to more deeply ground our own faith. Um, I don't know what 2017 has been like for you or what your past has been like for you, but I hope that these stories would give you courage as they've given me courage. Um, And may we keep saying so. Yeah? (laughs) Um, I don't have my phone up here with me, but there's a quote from Desire of Ages um, in the chapter called The Touch of Faith. Um, And it says simply this, Our confession of His faithfulness is Heaven's chosen agency for revealing Christ to the world. I'll just say it again. Our confession of His faithfulness is heaven's chosen agency for revealing Christ to the world. So when Jesus is looking for, okay, how am I going to reveal myself to the world? The thing that he looks for is your story and my story of his grace. You know, the thing that he's looking for is not some great miracle, not some skywriting, you know, uh, in the sky or whatever. He's looking for someone who has a story to tell to confess his great faithfulness. Our confession of his faithfulness is heaven's chosen agency for revealing Christ to the world. And so may 2018 be filled with opportunities where we have things to confess of his faithfulness. Yeah, Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are thankful for every good gift that comes from you. Even even the the gifts that come out of uh, things that seem like the complete opposite of gifts. God, you are able to cause all things to work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And Lord, we want to be able to confess your faithfulness with fresh testimony day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year. Lord, we're asking today that as this year comes to a close, that our thoughts of reflection would be filled with faith. um, That you would give us honesty to recognize the things that uh, your grace is covering that you would also give us hope and courage to realize the ways that you are moving us forward, causing us to grow, and even bearing fruit through our, our weak lives. Thank you, God, that your strength truly is made perfect in our weakness. And Lord, we want to agree with Kevin. We, we want to declare that you are the God in whom we trust. And so, as we carry on the, the rest of this Sabbath, Lord, we pray that you would continue to walk with us and give us refreshing rest. In Jesus' name, let the families say,
3: amen. Amen. Amen.